As we get our study of 2 Corinthians underway, Pastor Ed Taylor offers this preview. 1 Corinthians, it was a letter about a church being instructed, being corrected, being taught and rebuked. That was our, that's kind of the banner of 1 Corinthians. But for 2 Corinthians, it's a letter about a man who's being matured, who's growing up, who's learning the ministry, who's developing a deeper relationship through the friction, through the difficulties, through the accusations, through the gossip, through the rumors, through the false teachers, through the people believing the false. You're going to find a man maturing as a pastor. The, the big theme, really, of 2 Corinthians is a peek at the heart of Paul. This is amazing grace. Well, last Friday, you may recall, we kicked off our new study of 2 Corinthians here on Abounding Grace. And today, Pastor Ed Taylor will spotlight the first two verses of the epistle where we find a common greeting with an important message. How do you deal with the imperfections of others? While some turn bitter and angry or even cut the person off, we'll learn today a much better route is to be a peacemaker and extend grace and mercy. That's modeled for us by the Apostle Paul. Here's Pastor Ed. If you really want to be changed, then surrender and be washed by Jesus. You know, when I think of being washed by Jesus, I think that Jesus is going to do a good job. He's not going to do a half job. You know, sometimes you take your car in, you spend all this money, and it comes out dirty. And you come back over and you say, hey, my car's still dirty. No, it's not. It is still dirty. No, it came in dirtier. Well, wash it. Fix the machine. It's not the machine's fault. Like, man, my car's still dirty. Can you run it through again? And they run it through again, and guess what? It's still dirty. And they run it through again. It's the same area. They they need to fix that thing down there because it's not cleaning the car. Jesus isn't like that. You're not going to come out and go, well, Jesus, I'm still dirty. No, no, the Bible says he washed you. Sanctify. The word sanctified in 1 Corinthians says means to be set apart, to be used for his glory. To be justified. That's your position. You see, part of the issue here in 1 Corinthians 6 is sometimes we get confused with being justified. That means to be made right in the sight of God. You've been washed and cleansed. You now have a full relationship with God. However, there's still consequences. That's why those of you that aren't involved in any rank, rebellious sin right now, don't do it. Like you're thinking about it right now, like maybe, and I could probably get away with it, and it's not that big a deal. Don't do it. Well, you know, Jesus right there, you just said, Pastor, you know, Pastor Guy, he's going to forgive me. Yeah, you'll be forgiven, and you'll have to deal with the consequences. So just avoid it. Stay away from it. You'll be washed. You'll be cleansed. You'll be newness of life. But, oh, it's difficult sometimes dealing with the consequences. And the best way to avoid that is just to stay away from it. See, the church in Corinth is alive because of the presence of the Spirit of God. 700,000 people lived in the city of Corinth. It was so strategically located 
that lots of people would come through, lots of business, lots of city stuff. It was a very well-thriving, important city. There was a big temple there, the Temple of Aphrodite, where its thousands of prostitutes would descend into the city, wanting and coursing and tempting both men and women to worship false gods through sexual sin. And you'll remember, Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth, and we find that in Acts chapter 18, establishing the church, discipling, building up the saints, raising up godly leadership, and then he would move on. Paul headed off to Ephesus from Corinth for three years. And it was at the end of this time in Ephesus that many believe the first letter, because this is the second letter that we know of that's been inspired of God, that the first letter to the Corinthians was written. Somewhere along the way, just like the temptation for you and I, somewhere along the way, the Corinthian church turned a very difficult corner. It happened not too long after Paul left them. As, as he moved on to what God was calling him to do, and all kinds of ugly things entered into the church. We've learned some of them in our study in 1 Corinthians. We're going to learn a lot of them in our study here in the second letter, at least what we know is the second letter to the Corinthians. Things like division, factions, immorality, unspiritual leadership. They weren't using the spiritual gifts unto Jesus, but for themselves. They were drawing attention to themselves. They weren't respecting the Lord's Supper. They they weren't respecting the the elements and what they represented. They held wrong beliefs about the resurrection. Lots of stuff going on with this church filled with new believers. In response to a report that Paul the Apostle received, he takes his quill in hand and he begins to write a letter, the letter that we know today is 1 Corinthians. And in it, he dealt with many of these issues head on, spiritually in love. Now, since Paul's first letter, the church had been influenced by false teachers, people that would come in and take advantage. You know, whenever there is weakness in your life, there's always somebody looking to take advantage of it. There's always somebody looking and seeing, you know, there's weakness in them, there's difficulty in them, so let's see what we can get out of that. You always want to have your guard up, but it's hard to have your guard up when there's a lot of stuff going on in your life. When you're not walking with the Lord, you make yourself very vulnerable when your relationship with Jesus is fractured You make yourself very vulnerable to people that would love to take advantage of that. In the church in Corinth, a bunch of false teachers that wanted to draw people. They could see the work of God, see what God was doing. And when they came into the fellowship in Corinth, all they wanted to do was take people away from Jesus to themselves. It's been the pattern since the early church. And lest you think that Calvary Aurora is immune to that, we've had our fair share come through. And I'm sure more will come through. And you can pray that we're good shepherds and that we use the staff when necessary and also the rod. Because we don't take kindly to wolves that would want to rip off the sheep here. The only thing, if you're a wolf right now and you're here, I want you to know you're not welcome here. You want to repent and become a sheep right now, I'm cool with that. But you're not welcome to come in and take advantage of this church. You're not welcome to come in and take advantage of people seeking Jesus. You're not welcome to come in and teach false doctrine. You're not welcome to come in and draw people after yourself. And the minute we sense that there are wolves among us, expect for a shepherd to come and first speak kindly to you, of course. (laughs) But wolves aren't welcome around sheep. Wolves and sheep, they don't mix 
very well. Sheep don't tend to last around wolves because you know what wolves do? They eat sheep. They do. It's a very serious thing. Cults have been started by very prominent wolves. Believers in churches all around the world are ripped off by very coy, cunning, devil-inspired, devil-sent wolves into congregations just like ours. And we aren't, we aren't welcoming to wolves. We'll take you right out the door and all the way to the curb preaching the gospel to you all along the way. but the problem with wolves is they come in and they're dressed in what are they dressed in again speak up people are listening yeah everybody's whispering sheep's clothing you can talk we could talk together it's all right there's people listening on the radio they're like is he he got one guy in there no (laughs) it's like no it's just a lot of whispering you know it's like well I don't want to say anything And so you have to walk in the discernment of the Spirit, don't you? And just really praying for God to give you wisdom and understanding so that our kids are protected, so that our congregation's protected from those that would come in, just like here in Corinth. They would come in. This particular group was very vicious because not only were they teaching false doctrine, but they were spreading vicious lies and rumors about Paul. They were saying, as we'll study in the coming weeks, many, many wrong, vicious lies. And they have turned many people in the church in Corinth against Paul. They claimed he was a proud man and indecisive, unimpressive in appearance. They claimed that he was dishonest, unqualified as an apostle, that he was take, he was, they would claim that he was the one taking advantage of the flock. And he... We'll spend the time in 2 Corinthians giving forth a defense, defending himself, because many people believed the lies. When gossip comes to you, we'll study it in depth in coming studies, but when gossip comes to you, don't receive it. Don't receive an accusation against an elder except by two or three witnesses, and even then you go to the elder and the person that's being gossiped about, and you clarify. You just shut it down. Just look at the person and go, you're a gossip? And I don't want to listen to you. Have you ever done that? You know, if we would do that more often, people would not gossip that much. So just be quiet. You, you're, you're a gossip. You're spreading lies. I don't want to hear you. Try it. Tell me how it goes. <laughs> That's what the church should do. What are you afraid of? You know gossip when you hear it. Here's the problem. <laughs> Gossip is a two-way street. It would never exist from the mouth if it didn't come in the ears. So tell me more, tell me more. We'll get into that later, but I don't want to get into that now. We'll spend a whole study on that because it's just so destructive. Whether you hear gossip about me, I just want you to know, you hear any gossip about me, come to me. Email me, call me, talk to me at Safeway if you want. Hey, Ed, you getting some potato soup? Yes. Hey, I heard this gossip. Talk to me. I'll clear up anything. I'll tell you the truth. I don't have anything to hide. My life is an open book, and it's not that exciting to begin with. I just serve the Lord, man. That's all I do. That's my life. Raise my family under the Lord. Serve the family of God under the Lord. My life's very simple. And if you ever hear anything, you could just come. Talk to me. Ask me. Hey, Ed, I heard you're an alien. 
I'm not an alien. I have a birth certificate. I know I was born. I'm not an alien. I didn't come from another planet. You know, just the weird stuff that you think it's no big deal, but when you're at a weak point, when you're going through something, and the people that God's put in your life, you know, it could be that the Lord's just testing you, testing me. It's not just for you, it's for me. If I hear something about you, I'm going to talk to you. Why? Because that's the godly, biblical thing to do. The ungodly, unbiblical thing to do is to listen to it and feed it and spread it. And Well, I'm just verifying it. I don't verify with everyone but the person that's being talked about. That's just spreading it more. You just like, I said I'm going to get that in another study. So jot this down. Here's an outline, a quick outline. Uh, we're going to take a few extra minutes. Chapters 1 through 7, Paul is going to explain his ministry. Chapters 8 and 9, Paul is going to express his expectation for the Corinthians to give. And then chapters 10 through 13, Paul is going to express himself again in defending himself. So he's going to, in the first seven chapters, explain his ministry, kind of reminding everyone. Then in 8 and 9, he's going to stop for a second and say, wait a minute. You're giving. Remember you're giving. Be faithful in your giving. And then in chapters 10 through 13, he's going to give forth his defense of his apostleship. And so it's really good. So pick up with me in chapter 1, verse 1, with all that in mind. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Such an encouraging opening to a letter that's going to be hard and difficult and get very personal at times. He wants everyone to know, look, I love you. And he uses both grace and peace. Grace would be the common greeting of the Greeks. Charis is the word, C-H-A-R-I-S. He'd also use the common Hebrew opening, peace, shalom. Be very common words that would be open to all of them, to those that were hearing. Peace to you and grace. I love you guys. And it was a standard opening, but I don't, think he, I don't think he was writing it just like in general. Just like you, you know, you might, if you're writing letters still and you're writing cards, I still like to do that because I, I, I love writing things out. And when you say dear or hello, I know it seems formal, but you don't say, hey, idiot. <laughs> right? So even though you're kind of hello or hey or what's, you know, the name, you're making a choice. Even though you think it's formal, it actually isn't all that formal after all because you're not using something negative. And so there is a term of endearment in the sense where you are opening up very nicely. How are you doing? Hey, I've been praying for you. And even though this was a common greeting, and you know, you and I, we do a lot of common things, but we do it so often that we forget the significance of it. You know, you, you return so many phone calls, but you know how valuable it is for you to return your phone calls? It, it gives respect to the person that called you. Or you go through, you know, some of you, you have jobs where you go through hundreds of emails, and, and you've chosen to respond to them or have your assistant respond to them, and, and you think, wow, it's hundreds of emails every week, but you know, responding to them is a sign of respect. You don't just blow them off and delete them. Oh, it's so-and-so again. Click. That's disrespect. But because you do it so often, you think it's no big deal. It's the things that are repetitively done in the name of Jesus that tend to, we begin to think is no big deal that are actually a real big deal. You want to get the simple things done regularly and with excellence because it speaks to your relationship with Jesus. You don't want to just blow people off. And even though this was a common opening, 
it was good that he didn't, he could have blasted the Corinthians. What in the world are you guys, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. Who do you guys, wait, and he calls the leaders out by name. No, no, no. Hey, man, remember, I'm an apostle. Grace to you guys. Even though it's a common, you know, a common opening. As he expresses grace, he's, as he expresses the word grace, you're going to find the rest of his letter is going to be a letter of grace. And as he expresses the word peace, he's going to try to bring peace into the congregation. He's going to be a peacemaker because that's his heart. When division takes place, it's never good to take sides and bury one person over the other. The best solution is always to bring them together in the Lord. Peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's not good to take sides. Take the side of the Lord. Show mercy and kindness and forgiveness. You know, when you show mercy, kindness, and forgiveness, you know, when that flows from your life, when the Spirit of God uses that way, there's a good chance the person receiving it doesn't deserve it. You know what the definition of grace is? Undeserved favor. That's what you're showing. If you guys were getting along and everything was fine, there would be no need to show mercy, grace, or forgiveness because nothing's wrong. But in the difficulty, in the heartache, in the division, which one of you is going to show mercy, kindness, and grace? My prayer is it's you that's listening to me right now. And if there are two of you right now at odds with one another and you both are tripping over each other trying to show each other love, mercy, and grace, how can the Lord not work in that situation? How can that situation not be solved? And so, Paul, just simple. It's a simple opening. Just like in your life, there's so many things you do repetitively you think are no big deal. No, they are big deals. And he addresses it to the church of God. Notice the church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't say the church of Corinth or the church of the pastor. or the. It's the church of God, just like our church. The church doesn't belong to a movement. It doesn't belong to a pastor. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. We're a part of the church of God. This is his work. He's drawn us into relationship with each other. Man, so we can show mercy and grace to one another. And I'm blessed when I show mercy and forgiveness because I look back at my own life and I see how many times I've made so many mistakes in life and in ministry and as a pastor. I've made mistakes and I would fully expect to continue to make mistakes. Oh, I hope they're not harmful and I hope they're not disqualifying and prayerfully to this point they've never been that, never been disqualifying, but I've certainly hurt people by a mistake. I have been in need of forgiveness and mercy. I've had to have sit-down conversations with people asking them to forgive me for my bad decision or my bad action. And so I value mercy and forgiveness. I want to extend as much as I can because I really never know when I'm going to need it. (laughs) I never really know when I'm going to be on the other end and someone's going to call me and say, hey, Ed, such and such and so and so. And I only response is, well, man, will you forgive me? I was so wrong. That shouldn't have happened at all. I shouldn't have said that. Have you ever said something where life turns into slow motion? Yes, yes? anybody here? 
Yeah. It's like you say something and then everything stops and it's like, and you're like, give it back, give it back in your mind and it's too late, man. It's already out and it's gone and you need forgiveness, don't you? <laughs> Show mercy on me. I don't want what I deserve. And so when you extend mercy and forgiveness, they probably need it. But there's going to come a day when you're going to need it too. And mercy and grace is where the wheels of life are lubricated and we keep moving on together, smoothing things out. And in Jesus, I've learned a tremendous lesson, sometimes the hard way, that I would rather be merciful and extend grace and be wrong than to be wrong through judgment and condemnation and harshness and self-righteousness and hypocrisy. I don't know how many of you have tasted both, but I certainly have. And if I'm going to be wrong, then I want to be wrong in grace. And if I'm going to make a mistake, then I want it to be in grace. I want to be able to say, yeah, I made a mistake there, but man, I wanted to be as gracious as I could. Instead of, yeah, I made a mistake and I made it even worse by being condemning and judgmental and harsh and proving my point and making sure they see it my way and then going down. Well, I see Paul here. He's going to have to deal with some really difficult things and he paves the way with grace and mercy. And remember in our servants class, we devoted a whole time of Bible study in learning and growing and understanding to serve here, it's really important for you to have a pastor's heart. And I asked that, how many have a pastor's heart? And we talked about it and we learned that you don't have to be a pastor in order to have a pastor's heart. It's just the heart of the matter where you're a shepherd and you love Jesus. You have your pastor's heart, Jesus, and that flows through you and you serve people in love and grace and mercy. And, and that's a very vital ingredient to serve here at Calvary. It's a very vital ingredient to serve anywhere. You want to know what a pastor's heart's like? Stick with us through 2 Corinthians. You're going to see what a pastor's heart's like. You're going to see the pain and the problems and the perils. You're going to cry with Paul. You're going to be frustrated with Paul. You're going to see how his heart is just to have people in a right relationship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians, it was a letter about a church being instructed being corrected, being taught and rebuked. That was our, that's kind of the banner of 1 Corinthians. But for 2 Corinthians, it's a letter about a man who's being matured, who's growing up, who's learning the ministry, who's developing a deeper relationship through the friction, through the difficulties, through the accusations, through the gossip, through the rumors, through the false teachers, through the people believing the false. You're going to find a man maturing as a pastor. The, the big theme really, of 2 Corinthians, is a peek at the heart of Paul. The anatomy of an apostle, of a pastor. Where you can get the picture of uh, Paul the apostle there, and we put up a spiritual x-ray machine, and you see right into his heart, not physically, but spiritually. Those of you that have a call to be a missionary, those of you that have a calling in pastoring, those of you who are pastoring your home and raising your kids, you're going to find from the life of Paul the apostle what that really looks like. And so stick with it as the Lord has much in store for us. And there you have a taste of what's to come here in 2 Corinthians. 
Though we only covered the first two verses today, we'll pick up the pace tomorrow and learn about the God of all comfort. You're listening to Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor. Would you like to hear this again? If so, just pay us a visit online at calvaryco.church. You'll find an archive of messages right there. You can also listen through our apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. We have an excellent resource we'd like to get into your hands called the Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling. We all face problems, big and small, and the Bible has the answers. But where do we find them? That's where this Quick Scripture Reference can come in handy, as it covers a wide range of subjects many deal with, from anxiety to divorce, forgiving others, work or prayer. It works well in counseling situations, too, as you'll be able to find pertinent messages to help you share God's Word with a friend when they need it most. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Please remember this ministry is made possible through the support of listeners, and we're grateful for whatever the Lord leads you to do. It would be great to hear from you during these summer months. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You lay down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.